As everyone is getting settled back and the children are leaving, I'm going to lead us in prayer this morning. And um, I, I think we need to be praying, especially for our country at this time. I know that there are a lot of needs in, within the church, but I want us as uh, members here at Dogwood to focus on the nation. Uh, not only do we have the health crisis that we're facing, but this nation just seems to be deteriorating more and more every day. And it just seems like all of a sudden it just sort of welled up and came out of nowhere. And it kind of leaves you puzzled, thinking how did it all of a sudden get this far. But that's the way Satan works, and that's the way the world is heading. And so we just need to pray. We need to pray for God's intervention. We need to pray for the Lord to work in the hearts of man. We need to pray that, that God would lead us and protect us as a country, as a nation. And that whatever God is doing, whatever God allows to happen in this world, that that somehow that God would be honored and glorified in all of it. And then the end result would be that somehow the word of God is spread. <clears throat> I don't know how God does, accomplishes the things that he does through man's sinfulness, but he always has. And he probably will just continue to do that. And we've just got to trust him. And so we come to him this morning with our trust, with our faith, but also um, humbled before him to ask that uh, God would do something here in our country. So let me lead us as we, we go to prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come this morning, and Father, our hearts are heavy. We're excited about being here. We're excited about worshiping you, excited about the truth of your word. But as we look at our nation and all that we're struggling with now, this period of time, Lord, we are heavy because we see our nation deteriorating. Father, we see up, upheaval and unrest and rebellion. And Lord, our hearts are heavy because of that. And it is our prayer, Lord, that, that, Father, we are going to have to trust you with this because we don't know the answer. We don't have an answer for this. And, Lord, we need to trust you with this. Help us to do that as we ask you, Father, to heal this nation and to help people to begin to think through what they're saying and what they're believing and what they're doing. And that, Father, somehow your Holy Spirit would transform us and that those that are unbelievers, Father, your Spirit would reach even them and that, Lord, you would bring them to faith. And for all of us, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see that you have this under control, that you are sovereign, that you are God. And that, Lord, we need to trust you. And that's my prayer for us, that we would be humbled before you and we would trust you. And that we would always be praying and seeking your will, seeking your guidance. And, Lord, I pray for that now for this church and for us as believers individually for this nation. That, Lord, you lead us through this time and you draw us close to you. Lord, we thank you for being there. We thank you for all that you've done for us. And we thank you for who you are. And now, Lord, I pray for a work in our hearts that uh, you would indeed lift us up and that there would be a revival in the middle of all of this turmoil. And we trust you with that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. This morning I want to begin by reading something to you. This is an excerpt out of something that I came across on the Internet this week. It says this. It says, In 1923... An elite group of businessmen met in the luxurious Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. The roster included some of the most influential, famous, wealthy moguls of the early 20th century. These men were among them. Here's a few names. 
Charles Schwab, who was the, at that time was the president of Bethlehem Steel Corporation, Richard Whitney, who was the president of the New York Stock Exchange, Albert Fall, who was Secretary of the Interior under President Harding, Jesse Livermore, who was a Wall Street tycoon, and Ivar Kruger, who was the head of a global monopoly that manufactured matches. Now, it may not seem like much, but at that time, that was a need and a tremendous business. It says that these heavy hitters controlled more wealth than the total assets of the United States Treasury at that time. Surely these men would become models of the entrepreneurial spirit and stellar examples of financial success. But fast forward about 20 to 30 years later, and what you do when you look back on the course of their lives, just these men, look at what you see. Charles Schwab died in 1939, and he was $300,000 in debt when he died. Whitney served time in Sing Sing Prison for embezzlement. Albert Fall served time for misconduct in office, leaving behind a ruined reputation. Jesse Livermore committed suicide in 1940, describing himself as a failure. And Ivar Kruger shot himself in 1932 after his global monopoly collapsed. Buried beneath the rubble and humiliation, defeat, crime, sickness, and financial collapse of these men, along with a number of their colleagues, they died in depressing, pitiable condition. Their wealth, power, and prestige did nothing to soothe the personal anxiety and guilt they suffered in life. The reality is that great intelligence and hard work can make a person wealthy, but it takes God-given wisdom, supernatural humility, to be able to manage wealth and influence. Now, that is true of all of us. Is, you know, as we look at believers today, the, probably the two biggest areas where believers struggle with being tempted, with struggle with giving in to temptation, are in the areas of sex and money. Now, we're not talking about sex today, but we are going to talk about money and the way in which we look at it and view it and place so much importance on it. Now, I believe with all my heart as I look in the Scripture that God approves of both sex and money. But they have to be experienced in the proper context, in the proper context of the way in which God intended them to be enjoyed and to be used. Now, in this passage we're going to be looking at today in the book of James, as we are continuing on in this study, James is looking at the contrast between the believer and the unbeliever. And he's calling the believer, or the unbeliever, I'm sorry, the unbeliever as wealthy, he's referring to him as wealthy, because in that day and age, that was the society they lived in. Wealthy people generally weren't believers because they didn't need it. And they also pressed and, and uh, tormented the, the believers in the world at that time. So he's coming against what he's calling the wealthy, which in his terms are unbelievers. Now what we're going to do today is this. We're going to look at the passage and we're going to apply it to you and me. Because what he says, even to these unbelievers, is true even of us. In other words, the same pitfalls that they fell into, the same dangers they faced, the same tendencies that they had to be sinful in the area of their finances, there is exactly true of us today. And as believers, we run the danger, if you will, of relating to our money, our finances, in ungodly ways. 
And in that, we also then relate to people in ungodly ways. So we're going to go through this today, and we're going to look at four tendencies that wealthy people seem to struggle with. So these are four pitfalls or weaknesses that wealthy people seem to struggle with. Now, I want you to examine yourself as we go through this, okay? Now, you may be sitting there today, and you're saying, well, wait a minute, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not wealthy, Pastor. You need to know, you need to look at my bank book and see that I'm not wealthy. Well, here's the problem with that. The Bible would disagree with you because a wealthy person, at least in the day in which Jesus lived, was a person that had two pairs of clothes and enough food to get him through the day. Anything less than that was considered poor. Now, the reason is because of, like I said before, this class system they lived in. You were either very wealthy or you were very poor. Very little middle class. But even the middle class were looked at as being wealthy if they had enough food to get them through the day. This is the reason Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, prayed this way. He said, when you pray, we pray this way. Father, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, they were just praying for a day's meal, a day's wages. That's all they were asking God for. So you need to understand something, that when compared to the rest of the world, we here in America are all viewed as wealthy. And it's not a a matter of how much you have. It is a matter of what you do with it and how you view it. So this is going to apply to all of us. Even if you are not financially stable, it's still going to apply to you because you have the the potential, I guess, the, the, um, it's a possibility that your view of money could fall into one of these characteristics that we're going to be talking about today. All right, let me read you this, this passage, James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Let me read this. We're going to go back in and pull these um, different um, attitudes out of here, these tendencies. He says here, now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters who has have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Now let's look now and delve into this because what I want you to see out of here are the dangers of having money. And again, don't think of it in terms of how much. Just if you've got money, these are the dangers that you fall into uh, becoming a person like this. Now, this is not true in every situation. Please understand that. In all the years of ministry that I've been a pastor, I've known people who have astronomical wealth. And this does not apply to them because their lives are exactly the opposite. And so I understand that there are times when This doesn't apply, but it is also a danger that we all face. And so this is where I'm coming from. So I want you to watch out for these tendencies. Here's the first tendency that wealthy people seem to have, okay? Number one, wealthy people tend to be greedy. Wealthy people have a tendency to be greedy. Now let me go back over now this 
this, a couple of verses in this passage and show you what I'm talking about. The first three verses. Now let me read them and, and let's pick them apart, okay? Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because the, of the misery that is coming on you. Now watch this. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now, the problem is this. Now, gold and silver don't corrode. He's just using it as a metaphor. You have hoarded all of this great wealth. You have shared none of it. You have done nothing with it. And now it is like a, a witness against you. Because what you've done is try to hoard all you could to hang on to it because you are scared to death you might lose something or somebody might get something that belonged to you. I think the old adage that you and I have heard many times holds true. That is, the more you have, the more you want. And that's true of all of us. And I don't know what it is. It's, it's almost a strange thing. I've seen it happen in people's lives. People struggle in their jobs and they can't hardly make ends meet. And those are the lovingest, kindest people and they are always giving as much as they can to help other people. But you let them inherit some money. And all of a sudden things change. Their attitude changes. All of a sudden they become very protective because they have something now that they're afraid that they might lose. They're afraid that somebody might get from them. And so they begin to hoard it and they begin to hold on to it and all of a sudden, they, in an effort maybe not to be taken advantage of, they become people that are greedy. Let me read you these couple of verses. This is Paul talking now in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, it says in chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, this is Paul talking to Timothy. He's saying, that's all I'm asking for. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now notice that. He said, now here's the problem. There's nothing wrong with money. God gives us money to enjoy, to meet needs, and to do ministry. That's, that's not the problem. But if I have a, a compelling desire to be rich, and I'm pursuing that, and I do it in a way which disregards God and the things of God and the people of God, all of a sudden I'm setting myself up for ruin and destruction. The next verse, it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, notice it doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. You've got to make that distinction because you cannot look at an individual who has money and say to them, that money is the root of all your problems. No, it's not. It's our love for it. And you don't have to have a lot of it to love it. But a lot of times, the least we have, the more in love we are with it. But the love of it causes us to do things that are ungodly. And this is where he's going with this. He says, you need to understand that, that there is a pitfall here. There's a temptation. There is a danger. That you would become so greedy that you would not care for anybody but yourself. And that's the only person that, that matters to you. He says, some people have even walked away from the faith. Now, he's not talking about salvation, personal faith. The faith meaning the teaching of the apostles. 
In other words, they have left the practice of Christianity. They wandered off into the world, and you can see this a lot of times with people. The, the more money they seem to accumulate, the further and further they get away from church. Can't explain it, but it just happens sometimes. And this, I think, is what he's talking about. So as we look at this, this first tendency that rich people have, that of being greedy, you and I have to ask ourselves the question. As I look at myself, do I see myself becoming more and more greedy with what I have? Or do I see myself loosening up? The more God gives, the more I bless other people. The more God gives me, the more willing I am to help others. That's what God wants. But yet, what he's describing here, unfortunately, is what a lot of people who have money are. They're just greedy, and they want more and more. And it seems to be just the opposite of what it should be. Now, I'm going to have to move a little quickly here, so I'm not going to have time to develop each one of these. But number two is this. Here's the second of these um, characteristics that I'm talking about. Wealthy people tend to take advantage of others. Wealthy people tend to take advantage of others. Now, see, you're going to be sitting here listening to this. You might become resentful because you're thinking, well, wait a minute, I have money and I'm not this way. I know that. Not everybody is going to be. That's what I'm getting at. This is what I'm, sh- I'm trying to share with you. But these are tendencies that people with money have. I'm asking you to be careful to guard against this. Look at verse 4 in, the, in James 5 here. He says, look... The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Now, what is going on here? Well, the wealthy person said, here, come and work for me in my harvest or in my fields, planting, whatever. And then he cheats them out of the money that he promised them. Man, isn't that the way it seems a lot of times in this world? that the wealthy become wealthier on the backs of the poor? The people that could least afford it are the ones that he's cheating. I have a friend who lives up in the Midwest. He's sort of an executive in this company. And the company is privately owned, meaning that um, there's no board of directors. They're just the owner and his family that run it. This company makes millions of dollars every year. He said it is astronomical what they make. He said, but it doesn't matter how much profit the company makes, and it makes profit more and more each year. The owner has this idea. He takes what it costs to do business. There's the cost of business, and then there's the profit. He said, I take, he takes what is the cost of business, and all that goes into that, part of which is labor. And he has a formula that if my labor costs rise more than whatever it was, 60% or something, I don't know what it was, then he says we have to cut people that work for us. doesn't matter if we made millions of dollars in profit. He has this idea. And so my friend is telling me every so often he'll come in and he'll raise Cain at me telling me that our labor costs are more than they should be when we made probably 50% more profit than we did last year. He said, but he'll make me lay people off. And he just gets so angry because he said, this is just sheer greed. But yet wealthy people will do that. They tend to take advantage of people. 
Now, guys, listen to me. As you and I sit here talking about this, thinking, yeah, that's true of that scoundrel over there, I want to encourage you to do something. That if somebody works for you, if they do a job for you, that you go over and above, that you pay fair, a fair wage, a fair salary, and that sometimes if they've really done a good job, pay them extra. You may be sitting there thinking, you're crazy. I'm not paying more than they ask for. Well, why not? Listen to this. Just imagine the witness that that is to somebody. Just imagine that you're the exact opposite of how most people treat them. When you go to out to a restaurant to eat and the bill comes, don't figure up your tip to, to try to get down to the penny. Give over and above. Most of these people, the, the people that worked in this, this business up in the Midwest, people that are serving your tables are mostly single moms. And they need the money. And as a wealthy people, people who have means, don't be greedy and don't take advantage of people like we do sometimes. You ought to look at every opportunity that you have to bless somebody rather than taking advantage of them. It does not make you look better or make you sound smarter or wiser when you can talk about having squeezed some poor person for everything you could in order to save a buck. That's not a a positive thing. That's not a good characteristic. As James is talking to these people here, he's warning them. He said, you're cheating people. Don't be that kind of person if you're a believer in Christ. Here's the third tendency that wealthy people seem to have, and that is this. The wealthy people tend to be wasteful. Wealthy people tend to be wasteful. Um, Look at this passage, or this verse, in James chapter 5, verse 5. He says, You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of the slaughter. In other words, he said, whenever it comes time to kill the, the hogs and, the, and the, so forth, the cows, whatever you're, you're, you're eating, he says, you're right there in line getting more than your share. You are guilty of indulgence. You have, you have served yourself well. And you have just consumed gluttonously everything that you can around you. I don't know what it is about people who have means, that somehow they just feel like they can take and take and take. And it doesn't really matter if they needed it or not. They're just wasteful. When we were in seminary, we lived over in the Duncanville, DeSoto area. And my wife, we had, you know, we had two little girls at home at that time, and it, money was tight. I'm going to tell you, it was tight. And trying to, to buy clothes and to, to dress those little girls was, was difficult at times. But Deb always hit the garage sales. And over there, and this was in the 80s, and over in that area, garage sales were a big deal. I mean, you got the paper and you found out where they were. You mapped your course of action out and... And you always went to the wealthy areas of town. So she would go over to the country club area where the, they were having garage sales. And she would come back home with all of these dresses and clothes that she bought for next to nothing for the girls. And man, they were dressed to the nines. I'm telling you, they, 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 she dressed them well. 
Here's what my point. Some of those dresses would cost 50, 75, 100 bucks for a little girl's dress. The price tag was still on it. Somebody bought that brand new, stuck it in the closet, and never even used it. What is it about people who have means that they feel that it's okay to take what they have and to just throw it away? But you see, there's something in, in the, the mentality, the thinking of people who have means that just says, I, it doesn't matter. I've got it. I can just throw it away. When there are people out there who are in need. I went to Cambodia in 1999 on a mission trip. A friend of mine and I, we went from our church and we teamed up with a group out of Grace College up in Indiana where I was serving at the time. And we went to Cambodia. We were there about two and a half weeks. And they told us when we went there, they said, now, here are some guidelines that we want you to go by. Number one, there's going to be a lot of people, especially young children, asking you for money. Don't give them money. It just causes more problems than it solves. And when we get ready to leave, you can make a donation. We'll put it in a big pot. We'll give it to the missionaries that live here that are working with us. And they can then give it to the needy as they deem necessary. But otherwise, you're going to have a a hundred kids following you around if you start giving out money. So we said, okay, we can abide by the rules. So my friend and I are out on these moped bikes that you ride around there in, in Cambodia. That's all they travel on. We're out there just talking to people. Some could speak English, most couldn't, and it was hard to communicate, but we were just having fun. Well, sure enough, pretty soon a, a group of kids come around. I'm, you know, they're, the oldest is probably 12 years old. They're all, all varying ages under that. And they're asking for money. You can tell they got the hands out saying something, whatever the word was for money at that time. We understood that. And, of course, we couldn't give them any. And so we would have to say, no, we can't. Well, this little guy walks over to me, and he starts rubbing my belly. Now, he's talking back to the other group of kids, and he's saying something in Cambodian, and I can't understand what he's saying, but they're all laughing. And I can just imagine what he's saying. Here goes something like this. You fat white boy, give me some money. Because you have certainly overindulged yourself. You have certainly consumed more than you needed. So give me some. Well, we gave money at the end, and the missionaries gave it out to people that were really in need. But I've never forgotten that, because I can just imagine what it must have seemed like to him. Because, yeah, everybody in America has overindulged. We are extravagant, and we waste money. We waste resources. I want to encourage you to do something, okay? Go home and go through your closet. Because I'll bet you there are things in there that are good that you've never worn or hardly ever worn. I've got some shirts in my closet. I keep telling Deborah, don't give those away because I'm going to keep them because I'm going to lose weight. And they're going to fit once again. You know, we, and we both laugh because we know that ship sailed. It ain't going to happen. So we're going to, you know, have to give those shirts away. And they're almost brand new. But we all need to do that, not just with our clothing, but everything, because it's not okay to waste. 
See, we have means, all of us, and we consume things. We live in luxury compared to other people in the world, and we tend to be wasteful. So my challenge or encouragement to you with this one is that you just begin to see that there are things in life you don't need and that it's okay to give them away to somebody you know, give them to the thrift store, give them away to charity, whatever, but don't waste things in your life. Here's the fourth tendency that uh, our uh, wealthy people have, and that is this, that wealthy people tend to control others. They have a tendency to want to control people. Now, you've heard this old saying, too, he who has the money has the power. He who has the gold makes the rules. And my goodness, that, that's proven itself to be true, hasn't it? Just look in our world, okay? Who are the people that are running for public office? Who are the people that are making the rules? Who are the people that are dictating to the rest of us what we can and can't have? The wealthy. If they're not when they go into office, they always are when they come out. The greedy. And I don't know what it is about a person having means that somehow says to that person, because I have the means, I now can control those that don't. And I can dictate to you what you can and can't have. I can put limits on you. I can do what I want. Listen to this verse. It's in verse 6 here in our passage in James 5. He says, You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. What's that all about? Well, he's saying, look, you're a wealthy person, and here's a poor person, and you have killed him without any repercussions because you have money. And we, know, we all know that even in a legal system, money talks. He said, and you're using your wealth to try to influence and control other people. Now, I'm not going as far as killing people, but you and I both know that when we have money, when we have means, and we have the ability to influence politics or influence a judge or influence something, you know, we'll use that money to influence whether my child makes the team or not. Like I said, I've been in many churches over the years, and I can tell you right now that it's done in churches. I can't tell you the number of times that I've been threatened over the years of ministry or told that, well, I've got money and I give big to this church and if I don't get my way, blah, blah, blah. And I have lost many good people because I say, don't let that door hit you when you leave. And one of the things that just irritates me beyond measure is for somebody to threaten me with their giving. But you know what? You'd be amazed at the Christians that try it. That's not right. It is not right. And I want to encourage you that all of us, is we have our resources and we have means, that you don't use your money to get your way. You don't use your influence or your, your, your money to try to influence or manipulate people. That's not right. But yet, he's saying in this passage, you wealthy people have done that. So I'm saying to you and me that we need to whatever we're doing, whatever we want to be involved in or whatever change we want to see come about in whatever area, that we go about it the right way. 
but we don't try to buy influence. That's something that we as Christians should not do. Now, here's the warning. Here's the warning in this passage to those people that are unbelievers. So it's a little, these are dire warnings here, okay? But the warning still applies to us. It's not a, a situation of heaven and hell necessarily for you, but it is a situation of a life that is destroyed because you couldn't handle your finances. Verse 1, it says this. He says, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. The misery. The misery coming on you because of what you've done and the tendencies that you have displayed to use your wealth the way that you've done it and to abuse it, then you're gonna, the misery is coming. In verse 3, he mentions that some, they've done this in the last days. Now, that's a veiled threat, okay? He's saying, you're doing this, and here it is at the 11th hour, Jesus is coming, could come in any minute, and you're doing this? He said, don't you know you're going to have to stand before him? Don't you know that you're going to have to give an answer? In verse 4, he talks about the, the cheating of the workers. He says, it is crying out against you. Their plight has reached the ears of the Almighty. You're accountable, he says. You're accountable to God for what you did with your resources and the way that you've abused people, the way that you've misused it. So in all of these tendencies that we have as, as people of means, whether it be to be greedy with what we have, whether it's taking advantage of other people, whether it's being wasteful, whether it's trying to control people with our wealth, all of these are not acceptable before God. They just aren't. And that before God, we need to be different people. And I can tell you, like I said before, past experience, okay, past examples, people that I've known that have been multimillionaires and as humble and loving and kind and gracious and giving as they possibly could be. And God just blesses and blesses and blesses. And they are the happiest people on earth. A wealthy person does not have to act like so many wealthy people do. And somehow I believe with all my heart that those of us that act that way may never see wealth because God is not going to allow it for you. Those of us that have means and still act that way, we're in danger, I believe, of losing the wealth because God hates it. Your wealth, your money, your resources are to be used for good. Be a blessing to people. And that's what God wants. I want to write very quickly, just share with you three things that I want to leave you with in the way of a challenge, okay? Three things that I want you to remember. Here's the first one. Take control of your money or it will take control of you. You take control of your money... Or it will take control of you. Your attitude will change toward your resources if you don't recognize the danger and take action to prevent it. This is why I tell people that, you know what, you need to have some sort of a budget. It can be as detailed as you want it to be. But you need to sit down with your spouse if you're married or by yourself if you're not. And you need to, need to decide where are my priorities where are my priorities with the resources that God has given me? And I'm telling you right now that you better include in that budget giving. 
You had better include the poor. You better include the church. You better include missions. You better include people in need to any degree or portion how you want it divided up. But your heart had better be on the things of God. Because if not, he talks about in here that your lives can suffer ruin and destruction. Don't be wasteful. Don't be greedy. And one of the things that prevents you from doing that and becoming that kind of a person is that you know where your money's going and you control it. You dictate where that money goes. You dictate how it's going to be used. And I'm encouraging you to use it for good. Here's the second thing that I want to leave you with in the way of a challenge. That, that is this. To remember that a person's value is not determined by net worth. A person's value is not determined by their net worth. Now that works, that is true of you and it's true of other people. Now let me explain, okay? It's true of you in the sense of how do you see yourself? If you are a person that doesn't have the means and is always living from hand to mouth and you can't hardly pay the bills, do you see yourself as unworthy of no value? That's not right. Don't you dare judge yourself in the value that God places on you by what you have. Okay? Ever. Because God says you are valuable to me because you're my child. Your faith has made you valuable to me. And I don't care what you have or don't have because I control that. But now there's the flip side of this, okay? Because this statement, this challenge about a person's value is not determined by net worth applies to how you view other people. Because now you've got to ask yourself, how many times have I looked at somebody sized them up and made a judgment call on just how valuable they were to me. How much I wanted to be involved in their lives. How much of a friendship I thought could be established or whether I even cared based solely on what they had to offer. It's amazing. You'd be amazed. You go back in your life and you look at people that the possibility of maybe having a relationship or friendship and you didn't pursue it because, well, they don't have anything. You can't judge a person's value based on what they do or don't have. That's sinful. Don't do it. God says they're valuable. And God says that as my servant, I want you involved in people's lives regardless of what they have to offer. Here's the third and final thing, and that is this. That you express gratitude for what you have. Express gratitude. Now notice, I've, again, I've, I've preached on this one before. I'm not talking about being grateful, okay? We can all sit back and say, yes, I'm grateful for what God has given me. But do you say it? Do you say it? How many times have you ever prayed in your, in your personal prayer time and honestly thanked God for every single thing that you have in life? acknowledging, God, you gave that to me and I don't deserve it, but I've got it. You've given it to me. And now, Lord, give me wisdom to know how to handle it, that I might be a blessing and that I would never fall into these pitfalls, these dangers that I've discussed here this morning. You and I all need to be praying and thanking God for what we have and acknowledging where it came from. God wants to hear it. 
So, that's the message. Don't act like that person here talked about in James. But you and I need to stand up and be the people that God wants us to be. In every area of life, and this is one we never think of, see, that God wants me to be different and be a godly person when it, as it pertains to my money. Because we always think of money as sort of evil. No, it's the love of it that's evil. So use it wisely. If you're here this morning and you have never faced the question, if you were to die today, what would happen to you? Let me just share a verse. It's in John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That verse is written to you. And if you're sitting here this morning and you have doubts about your salvation, you need to understand that you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. But that God loves us. For God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he sent his son to take the penalty for all your sin. And Jesus died on the cross and was raised the third day. And he took the penalty. The payment was made. And God the Father says to you that if you put your faith in that, if you believe in it, that I will give you as a gift eternal life. That's God's gift to you. It's not something you work for. It's a free gift. Will you accept it? I want you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Now, here at Dogwood, we don't have people come down front. We don't try to make a spectacle of you. This is something that's personal between you and God. So it's just you and the Lord here. Right there where you sit, you can take this opportunity and turn to God in faith. Say, Lord, I don't believe it. I mean, I don't understand it all, but I believe it. I don't understand all the details of the Bible. I don't understand the details of this gospel message. But Lord, I, I believe that you died on a cross. But not only that, I believe you died for me. And I'm trusting you. I am turning to you in faith right now and I'm trusting you to save me. The Bible says that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. As you sit here this morning calling upon him, God says, I save you. That's my grace to you. If you have any questions about this, if you have any uh, doubts, uh, you want to discuss it further, there's a yellow card in the seat back in front of you. You can pull that out, put it in the box back there when you leave, and I'll, I'll be sure and call you and talk with you. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you this morning, Father, we're overwhelmed with the reality that sometimes we act like ungodly people. And especially when it comes to this area of finances, money, property, wealth. Father, I pray that as you bless, I pray that we handle it properly. That, Father, as you withhold the blessings of, of finances for whatever reason, that we trust you still. Father, our self-worth, our, our value to you is not wrapped up in what we have. But Father, it's in our relationship to you. Father, I pray for each one of us to know that, to understand it. And I pray for each one of us that we would take what you've given us, regardless of how big or small it may be, but we will use it to be a blessing to somebody else. Forgive us for where we have failed you. 
We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.